0: wait a minute, wait a turn, minute. On turn on the radio my homie got a new show and it's time to play it welcome to the startup showcase i'm your host scott katun we have got a great show for you nate bradley who is uh hanging out on the line right now who's going to come in uh studio he'll have to do that another time but he is going to join us on the first half of the show nate are you there yeah ah, i'm here there you go. awesome uh welcome to the show uh albeit remotely uh what's going on man how are you doing
1: Oh, doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Of course. So, we've got um a couple things I want to talk about. You you've got a lot of stuff that you're working on. And some of the stuff I think we'll save for a podcast where we get into the deep dive of like how you've gotten here, obviously, uh dive mask and and the funding piece and and sort of the uh, the the way you've gotten involved with all these tech companies, but the part that I want to focus on right now because I think it's interesting in particular to a lot of the audience is data. And where it's going and how it's being used or how it shouldn't be or should be used and i think you have a, a, a fascinating experience and so if, if we could start with having you kind share with us the your entrepreneurial journey to where you've recognized that this op this this opportunity this play in data exists so maybe give us a little background on, on what you've been up to since uh well since childbirth
1: sure sure so uh thanks again for giving me the opportunity and when you uh Really look at the situation with data, I really got a foray into it uh, in a system that's now known as Parallax Health Sciences. And with Parallax, uh, we've perfected a system called Data-Driven Outcome and have recently licensed it to uh, another company that I spearhead, uh, a company known as Data Vault. And the combination are two things I'd like to discuss with you today, just based on the subject matter of your show. You know, uh, there's been a lot of breaches. There's a lot of fear out there with respect to data assets. And, you know, many companies uh, have have begun to take a closer look as you, as you see these giant fines coming across. Um you know, recently to Facebook and in the billions to them, um, and the breaches, you know, to these, these end users really go unaddressed or really unmonetized. Uh, we, we kind of have a, a, a victim, uh, relationship with data right now. Many of us as consumers of, uh, products and conveniences have now realized, you know, that trade off of data is becoming uh, more and more unbalanced um, as we move forward and look at uh, some of these social media companies uh, really, you know, is sucking us for, for all of the data that we have in our lives and in taking that data, you know, and, and monetizing that at a very high rate. So the, the idea that we're able to, uh, you know, Create strategies for companies, and when you look at companies, it's a, it's it's really teams and conglomerations of people uh, that uh, you know set forth on a mission to you know make money or to work in a nonprofit or to whatever uh, effect that your company is meant to have on the community and on the uh, you know business landscape. There's also this data in our wake, and we specialize at Data Vault in really putting a a data capture system you know, in place. And if you look at, you know, what I'm up to is I've got Parallax that has the ability to test the human body and to really take any, any number of tests that you can all the way up to, you know, paying thousands of dollars for or all the way down to $20 to test your blood or to test any aspect of your body that you choose to test. And, uh, Parallax has a system that processes the, those test results and has a data-driven outcome approach where we're able to, you know, intervene. And with Data Vault, we've taken a license to that data-driven outcome technology, and we're harnessing it on these data vaults that basically bolt on to any company. So when you look at it, uh, there is a uh, – a derivative and core data set related to all these companies and all these operations, and we have the ability with Data Vault to snap onto these companies and let them create data objects that get mined on a daily basis. They also have all their historical assets, So if you've been running video surveillance for years and and holding data, you know, that is in different various forms, video surveillance, audio content, um, many, many other types of media assets and other assets that are in the wake of our companies and our operations. And so we're able to find both core, meaning data related to those business operations that are directly you know, uh, accretive and, and relevant to their operation. And then we have these derivative data assets that, you know, may have nothing to do with the core business operation, a real estate company that has a footprint in a community and is able to d- develop data assets about that community that have nothing to do with real estate and, and so on and so forth. So we're able to to look at data differently and, uh, I kind of dedicated this part of my career to, um, you know, having big impact, uh, with, uh, software as a service, uh, you know, proprietary systems in the cloud that aid human beings in their management of data. In this case, um, the optimization of outcome in the case of healthcare and Parallax and that, you know, ba- basically mining data objects at Parallax were able to use this. You know, data vault uh, to to also monetize and understand our data objects. Uh, so that that's you know, in a nutshell, what I'm up to right now.
0: So I want to I want to talk about the business side of the of the data vault and how both how it works for you, but also how it works for everybody else who's going to use it. But one of the things I want to talk about before that. Um, I had a conversation with you might have crossed paths with this guy given your career. Uh, he's the co-founder of Curb which is, you know, predates Uber and Lyft and all that. It's sort of like the, how you would hail a cab if uh, you opened up your at the time BlackBerry. Um and, uh, and and Toby Russell's his name. And he's got a company now um called um, shift.com which is like another better basically eliminating the need to talk to a used car salesman, which I think we all would agree is a good thing. Um <laughs> But we had this conversation, and I actually thought about you during the podcast last week. Um, he said, if you think about it, the last, you know, 10 years, call it the Facebook era, think about how money many of the smartest, greatest tech minds this, this world knows have been spent or spending all of their time trying to figure out the best possible way to stuff product down your throat. They have not use their abilities to build things that impact humans in any other way than how to bleed their pockets and i when he said that to me it sort of like blew my mind because it was like you're right like we look at like elon musk who in some cases is a nut nut nutcase but also brilliant and he's trying to you know build things that are just mind-blowing and some people will criticize that like oh he's too focused on this and that and it's like From a public company standpoint, which obviously you know very well, I understand that. I understand shareholders and people being like, you know, what are you doing? But he's like one of the very few of these brilliant minds in tech that are actually trying to solve human problems. And imagine if we could create a a world or a device where the monetization models lined up so that it would be worth the effort to incentivize technologists to spend more time on using the data and the things that we have To, yes, make money and build companies, but more importantly, to actually change the way that human beings exist, to make it healthier, to make it happier, all of these things. And I I think that based on the, the limited conversation I had with you prior to the show, I really feel like you're in a position to enable that for companies that maybe before would not have been incentivized financially, or maybe they just simply were not optimized to be able to actually do it. And that, to me, is the fascinating part about this, is like, you might have a ton of data in your company, or or you say you do, because that's what investors want to hear, but you don't actually have practical data, and you don't have a mechanism to actually extract any insights that could, A, perhaps drive more revenue through other product lines, or B, simply make what you have better and more usable, what do you, where do you stand on this? Do you, do you see where I'm going with this or do you think I'm out of my mind or what where are we at?
1: No, no, it's spot on and you know I I appreciate um you know the the examples that you gave and certainly from your last show, you know, it 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 just it goes to show that you know we have a long way to go in, in innovation and we we've built these systems, you know, of uh cloud-based resources, but we have yet to Really perfect uh, the monetization around, uh, in particular data in our case. And when you look at it, uh, we put together a refinery uh, system, and it's analogous to an oil refinery. You know, you can basically bolt this on to your company, and what it does is it uh, it, it functions as software that um, leverages uh, best in class uh, systems and artificial intelligence, and basically it does an analysis to create data objects, and part of the optimization of that those data objects is to look at uh, third parties, and uh, in typical fashion, companies will hoard their data, and we as individuals, you know, to best we can, uh, you know, look, seek to control our data resources and our data assets and also understand them and grow and learn and uh, be able to make informed decisions from uh, data in its optimal state. So um, what we've done is we've looked at uh, the bridges between large companies and organizations, scientific research companies, companies that have uh, deep data resources, uh, including our, our, our public, you know, universities and, and many other uh, data resources. Uh, just look at our United States Patent Office in our, in our country. You know, after twenty years, patents when they expire, those properties become uh, part and parcel of the of the federal, uh, you know, holdings, if you will, and and those are largely misunderstood. Uh, you mentioned Elon Musk; uh, he's a prolific patenter. He also gave his patents away for Tesla, saying, you know, if if, if someone else can use this technology, you know, help yourself, and and uh, you know, in in similar fashion. Uh, We've also, you know, for we've foregone the the space race in in exchange for, you know, three billionaires that are going after Elon with SpaceX and then Amazon with, you know, the Blue Blue Origin and such. And so when you look at the use of data, the understanding of uh, robotics and, uh, you know, intergalactic travel, um, all the things that have been hoarded, um, if those became, you know, vendable data objects, if you were able to buy that knowledge and understand uh, specific aspects of companies and their data resources, but also combine those uh, and, and make make headway uh, using the combination of data between companies to help people.
0: I, I want you to correct me where I'm wrong here, because I, I, I'm going to make a blanket statement about probably people I shouldn't, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I, I have... Always felt, and this goes for me as well, like this isn't just, you know, big, rich, wealthy founders. This is myself running companies and media. I've always thought that companies, whether it's media or not, have taken a very um, lazy approach to how they're going to monetize data. I I liken it to when I was in, in junior high and in college, there'd be math classes that I absolutely had the ability to intellectually learn the math and like actually learn the equations and the reasons for the values and so forth. But I would just go to like the whatever the basic, easiest way I could possibly get through it without actually learning it because um, the work seemed harder and boring and whatever than, than it was worth to me. And I look at the way that companies have monetized data and was like, you could look at this like you have and you could build, like you said, a bolt-on refinery and you could figure out different use cases to use what you're extracting from data as ways to improve things or to create entirely new lines or whatever. Or you could just sell the box of data to somebody else and let them use it however they see fit. And that to me always seemed like, while it, in some cases it is the most valuable money-wise, most of the time it's actually not, long-term for sure. And it just it kind of baffled me for years now that these people took what I think is probably their most long-term valuable asset and they just sold it because it was just easier to sell it than it was to try to figure out what to do with it. Is that like? Am I wrong in that, or do you do you think that there's there's more to the the story that I'm missing?
1: No. So there's so much of that and latent potential and lost value. Um, There's also found value in in the in the uh, you know the the resources of companies. uh, Largely, some of their misunderstood assets uh, can be some of their most valuable. It's like the painting in the in the basement or oil under the porch. Um, there is just uh, a value uh, that exists with data that uh, there's a lot of lip service. And when you hear entrepreneurs talk about their companies and their core businesses, they're often say the, the the words. And you can see my data, you know, is also going to be very valuable. But they really just have lip service to that and no strategy, no tool set, no mindset, um, no, you know, mind share uh, to be able to go out and sell. Uh, specific data assets. So, um, we devise, you know, and our namesake is Data Vault. And that vault is about taking those data objects out of a company, barreling, you know, barreling them up and making them, uh, transactionable and understood in terms of a timeline. If it's historical data or if it's live data or if it's incremental, monthly, weekly, annual data. Uh, We're able to bundle up data resources, and then we're able to vend them all the way to a vault that, uh, you know, basically understands these assets. It never ingests them or has to hold those assets. It just characterizes them, and it values them. And we have a data value process where like Zillow, when you fly over real estate on Zillow.com and you can see the valuation of real estate properties, uh, so too now you can see a data value associated with addresses and with companies and their overall footprint and their data wake, if you will, uh, when it's properly you know, refined and understood, uh, we can also start to place value on that data.
0: You realize despite all of your tremendous past success that this is going to dwarf everything you've done, right?
1: Well look, but uh, the, <laughs> I'm not even, the, like, joking the medical I'm serious. industry. Yeah, the medical industry, so if you just look at Parallax for a moment, that that is one third of the US economy in healthcare, three trillion dollars. And you're right. You know, you get better in life. And I've looked at, you know, you know the, the impact of some of these technologies. Nowhere other than healthcare do you see this massive uh, waste. Uh, one third of the one third is, uh, is is entirely waste and mismanagement and poor care coordination. So when you can start to connect the dots. And use data to have intervention and have interventional systems around chronic disease management, meaning diabetes, cancer, heart disease. Uh, you'll be hard pressed to find any of your loved ones that haven't been touched by chronic disease. And um, when you have, at the measure, so much pain and so much. You know, human struggle related to these disease and the mismanagement of this healthcare system, uh, impact of data, I would argue, uh, manifests very well within the parallax. And then in terms of the impact of data vault, um, the last part of it, the exchange, the ability to exchange the data for capital. And the ability to move data in a structure that is meaningful and easy to use and understood, Uh, we've created a data exchange that um, is quite revolutionary. Um, It will be launching later this year, and uh, we're super fired up about it. But it's basically the ability for you to take your refinery and your vault where you've understood your data and you know where it is, and then to literally sell uh, data objects in the form of tokens and so um, you can list a ticker for any data asset on our exchange and when you when someone buys that ticker they receive a token and they're able to vend that data from your company and uh you know we're, we've created the continuum from the refinery to the vault to the exchange and that's that's what you're pointing to it has application in many many different industries and it's it's definitely exciting times at DataVault.
0: No, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I love the idea that we are now in a position where people are not selling assumptions; they actually have the ability to actually sell a, an actually fact-based, fact-backed solution. And I think that's huge. We have to take our take our break now, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to call in. And I, I hope in the near future we can have you come in studio. We can uh, listen to some of these pitches on our stuff
1: fantastic thanks thanks for having me of
0: course where do people go real quick to uh to check out data vault
1: so um you can go to the dqb so it's dot dqb.com
0: awesome thank you so much nate
1: thank you of course take, take care, care.
0: all righty folks we are going to take a quick commercial break we will come back after that and check out the news and then we've got the startup showcase welcome back to the startup showcase i am your host scott Catoon. joining us on our uh, little adventure here Andrew, I can't even pronounce his last name, so I'm going to ask him when he's on the air because it's just—it's actually a really good name. This is a tough one. Uh, He is the CEO and founder of We Live, I believe it is. Um, I I am going to preface this by saying, for for those of you listening, the next two guests, speaker pitches, I think are really unique in the sense that they have a very community centric piece to it. And they're and it touches everyone, whether you're talking about trying to help kids and especially kids in disadvantaged areas get into business um, and, and get a career, but also find a way to make money uh, in a good way. Um, and as well as those are in the creative space, which we talked about with Amy before the show that need to figure out a better way to make a living. And both of these new companies uh, handle that and, and do something very unique. And so I have to tell you, if you're not going to follow us on Twitter at Technori or follow them after they give you the handles and investing in these companies, this is your shot to get in behind these companies, whether that's altruistic to help the community and help founders, or it's to actually make an investment that has a potential of a large return. Uh, now is the time folks now is the time to go to republic and and register to invest and play along with us uh before we speak with andrew i have to uh i have to prep us with our elevator pitch music which i love so dearly andrew are you there i'm here awesome say your last name for you because this is one of the best ones i've had sure Krista delitas Krista delitas i could have pronounced it if i only knew um, <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Uh, I want you to give us your pitch now on your business of what it is, why it exists, and how you're going to make us some money.
2: Sounds good. First off, thanks for that intro. Uh, I'll, I'll jump right into it. So, uh, for the average person, shopping for furniture online is hard, especially for mid to higher end products. Seeing these products and photos of the homes where they're actually being used makes it easier. We live is amassing millions of these photos and enabling discovery and shopping of the home furnishings within them. And in addition to being able to get information on or purchase anything you see, you can easily tell us what you like or don't like along the way, constantly improving our search results in real time along the way. We've developed the foundation of the platform and we have significant traction with access to about 4 million curated images and uh, also, approximately forty thousand products already added to our marketplace, generating one hundred twenty thousand dollars in GMB. Uh, but in our view, more important than that is is the Data Moat, which will uniquely enable image based, refinable search. Uh, we believe this substantially improves the user experience, and expect it will ultimately become the standard for online search and shopping. And that, that's that, that's the overview I wanted to give.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, for anyone out there who's listening to the show, 312 981 7200, you can call me after this conversation with uh, any questions or things. I want to tell you, I mean, I, I, I talk to a lot of startups, um, obviously, and those that I have talked to who are in the, whether it's document search or image search business, I think are, are, are on the upswing and they have a huge potential because I think one of the biggest problems, and I talk about this other, other, you know, founders and par- partners of my own that the way that we shop is sort of, like, it seems like it's intuitive and that doesn't need changing and some things don't need to be to fix. but, like, I think it does. I think the way that we are shopping is not in line with the way that we do almost everything else. Everything else is on demand and we know exactly how to search for it. Shopping, you still go into a text box and write a loose description and then you have to sift through a million different things because people keyworded the crap out of them. And so there's no real way to be like i want this thing and that's like one side of the coin right that's part of the problem you're solving the other part of this is like all of the freelancers and all the people who take pictures and and are the basically the majority of our content producers and 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 contributors need to find a way to monetize they need to find a way to plug and play and there just isn't really like a well-organized way for people to you, know, you, can't, you can't get you can only get hired at so many gigs. It's much easier for me to take a picture of a bunch of items and upload them and, and provide you with a way to find it and buy it and take a cut than it is for me to try to get hired by 15 different companies simultaneously. It, it's just kind of a broken model both how we're buying and also how we're serving. Um, and so I think this is kind of a novel approach to that where what was the, the general premise where you came up with this?
2: Yeah, so uh, I agree on, on, on both fronts. Uh, first, uh, what you described as a norm for online search and shopping today uh, is generic. It, it works very well for certain product categories. I mean, if you're buying toilet tissue or toothpaste, it's fine to do a Google search and, you know, find Amazon and a couple of other options before making a decision and, and, and purchasing a product. It doesn't work as well for high ticket aesthetic products, and we find that to be especially true in the home goods category, given the unusual absence of recognizable brand names behind the product. So the idea is you're looking for these high-ticket aesthetic products, which unlike any other consumer product category you can think of, are not influenced by recognizable brand names. And then they're they're presented uh, in, uh, well, if you're starting with Google, you're, you're presented with Uh, hundreds of millions of linear search results meaning no matter what you do with the first result the first result doesn't affect the second or the third and so forth and then when you click into any of those search results you're looking at product presentation in the same way that toothpaste and toilet tissue is presented so it's presented in a vacuum making it very difficult for the customer to understand or distinguish between products on one end of the spectrum to, to the other and so uh, we found that context association, so y- having users see products authentically in the spaces where they're already being used, instantly improves their understanding of the product or the caliber of the product. Uh, that, that's one side of it, which I think you touched on. The other side of it, um, we're fueling our platform through interior design professionals, uh, interior firms, decorators, architects, etc., and. The same uh, user experience that we're enabling for contextualized, interactive product discovery and and shopping is what we're enabling for the professional design community to um, generate brand awareness and and business development for for their own businesses. So through these same images that users are searching and, and refining along the way, they can... Find design ideas and inspiration through content. They can shop products, as I originally described, or they can find design professionals who meet their their, their preferences, style, uh, location, budget, etc. So cool. Achieving all of that with the same user experience.
0: I, I like this a lot. It's very cool. I think I think this is a, a space that is going to be very very. Uh, explored, I guess is a good way to put over the next couple of years as we start to get closer and closer to where more, you can see it on Instagram a lot, We're basically image image driven everything, image driven search, image driven yep. summon, summoning of idea, of demand, it's all just sort of like take a picture of the sandwich I want and send it to me. Uh, very cool. Where do people go to invest in your company?
2: Yeah, so the campaign is now live at republic.co forward slash we live, that's W-E-L-I double V.
0: Very cool. Awesome. And then you can follow you on Instagram and everywhere else at at W-E-L-I-V-V. Very cool. I appreciate your time, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you. Of nice course. You. Yep. Take care. All right, folks. I'm going to post that link on my social and in Technories. That's at Technori on, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, wherever you go. Uh, it'll be there. You should check it out and uh, take the opportunity to at least read the terms and understand what the company is looking for. I think it's a good opportunity. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We will come back with the Town Kitchen, which is one that I really, really like. Um, if you've been to San Francisco or LA or anywhere on the West Coast, this is even more of a of a thing. But like in Chicago, we could use it for sure. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. We have got Eric Quick, who is going to be calling in here in a second. The Town Kitchen. You can invest in this company at republic.co slash thetownkitchen. You can follow them everywhere at thetownkitchen. And of course, as mentioned before, we will post this on all of our things at Technori. And I should tell you, as I mentioned in the conversation in the first half of the show, if you're not listening to the podcast, you are missing out. I basically take all these cool people who call in for five minutes and I talk to them for like an hour, sometimes a half an hour. It depends on what it is. Uh, but we get to say all the things we want to say, discuss all the things we want to discuss, sometimes say words we're not supposed to say on the radio that we can say on digital. Uh, it's highly worth your time. It's uh, You can go to Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. Okay. Time for elevator pitch time. All right. Are you with me, I am, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yourself?
3: Excellent. Thank Excellent.
0: you. Excellent. Let's fire away. Let's get into the, the town kitchen.
3: Excellent. Sounds good. So, Town Kitchen, we're a public benefit corporation out of Oakland, California. We do amazing things by employing uh, foster reentry youth and helping them elevate professionally and economically through our business-to-business food delivery company. Uh, We spent over the last four years building a company and over the last two years being able to double the size of the company uh, to where we're at today. And uh, our partnership-driven impact model is working with companies that are already spending money on food and beverage things, whether it's a board meeting or lunches for their, their employees on a daily basis, working through us to create community impact and also hours and economic uh, health for the local youth, both uh, the reentry as well as the foster care community. Uh, we're looking to double the size of the company this year, and that's why we're looking and working with the Republic team to help fuel the impact forward through investors in the community, both in the Bay Area and beyond. So we look forward to the Republic campaign and having your listeners participate in it.
0: Very cool. I uh, definitely get it. I've been to San Francisco several times. I've been to a lot of communities. Um, I don't like, and know we can get into this in a second, but I, I don't feel like the, listen, I understand the business, understand the business point for a lot of the businesses that are doing on-demand delivery and things like that, catering, food here sure. locally, and they are putting people to work and they're making money and that's fantastic. But sometimes they're putting the wrong people to work and it's not necessarily their responsibility, I think, to like find the right, right people, if that makes any sense. But I, I also sure. think that like there aren't enough organizations like yourself that make it easier for them and anything we can do to give people who, you know, if you remember back in the day, if you were a kid, you know, trying to get a job, you did kind of side work, you worked at the golf course, you worked at mm-hmm. the bad groceries, that job right now is being taken by people who probably shouldn't have that job and it's taking away the opportunities for a lot of people who previously you know were able to help their families afford whatever lifestyle they had by by taking care of themselves having those kind of jobs so i I think we we need more people like you what are your thoughts on that
3: yeah no i agree i mean i think for for us at the end of the day you know we are a for-profit for public benefit company And so in our our bylaws as an organization, we protect why we exist. We feel our impact in helping elevate people professionally and economically uh, by working with us, but we're able to protect that in the the legal bylaws of our organization. And so it's really, you know, how do you use business for good? um, And also provide individuals that may need a second chance. Maybe they were in in jail or in, in prison. Uh, and they just want to, you know, kind of redefine their life and and how they move forward. And so we're we're giving them the opportunity. We have amazing nonprofits that we work with uh, that are typically working with these individuals, these youth, you know, typically 18 to 24. And I want to get them a, kind of a, a new pathway forward, and, and that's one of the things that we enjoy as leaders of the organization doing on a daily basis.
0: No, I, I'm, and I'm behind you on that. I, I think Chicago could benefit a lot from things like this. I think every city probably could. Um, how, what was the premise for you to get into this? What, what was the, that aha moment where you're like, one, there's a business here, but two, uh, there's a way for us to do good?
3: Yeah, so you know, uh, I've, I've been with the organization about 17 months. Uh, the organization was started four years ago. Uh, with uh, Jefferson Sevilla, who is our uh, corporate impact officer as well as uh, one of the founders, and he started it with uh, Sabrina and Tara, who are the two other founders. And, and the focus was, you know, how do we address social justice issues through a food uh, food delivery company? Uh, Jefferson's traditionally a chef; he was working at Google, San Francisco, and wanted to create bigger impact in the community than just you know serving meals to uh, relatively high paid uh, individuals. And so it was born from there, and, you know, it's it's got some elements and themes of a, of a nonprofit in a lot of ways with our culinary training program and our, um, you know, career roadmaps and working through leadership and life skills with all of our youth through the program with us. Ultimately, we want to have them elevate into higher-paying jobs, whether that's with us or, in a lot of times, it's with our partner companies. So, you know, if we're selling into a Cisco um we really set forth right out of the gate with our partners that we're not just looking to sell you food. We're looking for pathways in for our youth. We're looking for internship opportunities or entry level positions. And so, you know, kind of the holy grail for us is when our employees get hired away from us by our customers. In Any other company, I probably wouldn't be excited about yeah. that. But I got it. You know, I got in, involved about uh, seventeen months ago. As I said, I'm an investor in the company as well as uh, the CEO and. For me, it's about a higher purpose in, in building companies that create a bigger impact and not just financial, uh, you know, value. Uh, and so I've been doing that for the last 12 years, uh, been with Revolution Foods, which is another, you know, large company that has a, a, a big focus on uh, improving the school lunch program on a national basis, as well as several others that are focused on improving access to healthy foods and food deserts and that kind of thing.
0: Very cool. I really like this. Uh, where do people go to invest and to learn more about it?
3: Yeah, so Republic, uh, the town kitchen on republic.co, and uh, they can learn more about uh, what we do, our performance, as well as kind of where we're setting our eyes on and how we grow the company forward and overall target f- impacting 500 individuals and their families' lives over the next five years.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much for calling in.
3: Have a great day, Scott. Thank You
0: too. Take care. All right, folks. Okay. Uh, um, Another great company, another great pitch. I think the kind of the the takeaway for me today in in the two call-ins and and honestly, even the conversation in the first half of the show, there are a lot of great businesses and some are big, some are small, some are opportunities in the middle. There's a lot of opportunities out there for anyone who wants to solve the problem that may be uh, social or otherwise that are going to ultimately have to be the way business is done in the future. It's like you think about the We Live or you think about the the Town Kitchen. There is a very, there's two different problems, but there's a very clear distinction. On the Town Kitchen, there's a bunch of people, whether it's youth or otherwise, who may or may not have had a great shake. And now they have to figure out how to make a living. And because of whatever they did in the past, which they have paid their price for, they need to figure out who will give them an opportunity to, to sort of get back in normal society. And they actually have an opportunity to solve problems in that final mile that we talk about all the time, where they're delivering, they're doing things that that earn trust, but also help reduce the cost to create the great experiences. Which is why you see guys like Uber and Google working with the Town Kitchen. But you look over at We Live, we are in a in a gig economy. Like people think a gig economy is just like driving Uber. It's it's not. It's it's a it's it's creative work. I talked to a guy the other day who runs a marketing agency and he told me he's like i hire some people obviously i hire the glue people i need but we live off of freelancers and and i was like well it's not like taking advantage because those freelancers don't get as much you know benefits or whatever and his response was pretty astounding actually and this is something for you to tell your you know yourself or your kids the best marketing people like right now are not taking marketing jobs they're freelancing because they make way more money. They can pick the projects that they bring the best value and that they're the best at so that they can get the jobs done the fastest and do more work and they can charge whatever they want. So yeah, they don't have official benefits. Not that the benefits of most companies are even that great to begin with. These folks are literally picking their own rate and making a lot of money. The best and brightest in marketing right now are freelancers. They're not going to sign up for the, the day job. Like, it's The stability is great, but it's not when it's When it closes you down and and takes away your opportunities for growth or, you know, imagine you're working as whatever person at some company, you know, you're the creative director, whatever you make 75,000, which is nothing to shake at, but someone with your same skill sets right now is on Upwork and freelance and a bunch of other places and Fiverr and they're making a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand plus, and they're doing it from home and they're doing it without anyone, you know, griping at them and telling them to fill out reports. And I I think that a lot of people out there should be looking at these kind of jobs. I think people should be investing in companies that are building these kind of things because they're going to be the future. And probably more important than anything is all of the companies and founders listening to the show. If you're looking to hire first employees, it's admirable to hire all these Chicagoans. Obviously, I'm for it. But to build an agile, fast-growing company, you you need the best talent. And you might not be able to afford to have the best talent on full-time sitting around your office. But you can afford to hire the best talent to work on the project right in front of you. And these are the kind of apps and things that make that possible. So highly recommend it. We are going to take our final commercial break. You've been listening to me and the Technori Startup Showcase for the last hour. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Follow us on social at Technori. Follow me at Katoon. Let's take our commercial break.